Uh, Let's pray together in thanks for the offering. Let's pray. Our Father God, we uh, praise you for your goodness to us and we thank you that we can be generous in return. Father, we pray um, that the money given uh, here this morning would go to the cause of seeing your great gospel uh, go out into this city, this nation and this world. We pray that you would bless it, uh, that you would see it go forth. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to be here uh, this morning. Uh, It's great to be here to be able to share particularly about the CU. I hope you got a few ideas of some of the things that we do just from, from those pictures that we had on the slideshow earlier. But particularly what I want to talk about this morning, I guess is the what you might call the underlying motive or vision uh, that really drives everything we do. And it's pretty simple, it's pretty easy to remember. Uh, it's actually, if you've got one of these little black, um, uh, what are they called? Flyers, brochures, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can see it there, it's in our logo, it says, Uncover Jesus. Uncover Jesus. Uh, that really is our motto, it's our vision. Uh, it's only two words, so it's really easy to remember. Uh, but that is the thing that drives everything we do. We want people, students at our university, to uncover Jesus as they meet him personally in God's Word, the Bible. That is our great goal that people would meet Jesus personally, that they'd uncover who he is so they get a real clarity about him that leads to a confidence to living for him. I see one of the great uh, things that I think I've noticed over the years, this is my sixth year on campus here in Bendigo, one of the great things I think I've noticed is that there's a lot of people who come to our university who have grown up in the church, who have grown up in Christian homes, and they just don't have a real clarity about Jesus and therefore they don't have a real confidence to actually live out their Christian faith in a profound way on campus. I'll tell you a story about a guy I met uh, just during O-Week, orientation week, about seven seven weeks ago now, feels like it's been pretty far, seven weeks ago now, uh, during O-Week I met a young guy, he's about 19, I grew up in a Christian home and just as a bit of a diagnostic kind of question I asked him, I said, do you reckon you could tell me what the Christian message is. What is it that you believe? I saw I like to do role plays with people and so I said, you know, if you're sitting at a bus stop and someone kind of leaned over to you and they said, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? What is it that you believe? What would you say in that moment? I don't know if maybe you might want to think about that. Uh, What would you say in that moment? Uh, This young man, he said kind of, with a bit of anxiety in his voice, he said, I, I, I don't know, really? Um, I guess I'd say that God made us and God loves us. And that, that was it. And I said, yeah, that, that's true, that's great, that's, that's absolutely true. I said, but you know, there's actually probably a fair few religions or beliefs that would say that there is a God who made us and that he has a love for us. I said, what is it, can you tell me, that is just distinctive, that is unique about Christianity? And he actually really struggled. He just couldn't articulate that. There wasn't a real clarity there. And so I think what that tells me is that that guy, when he comes up to university, he's actually going to struggle to stand firm in his faith. 
He's going to struggle when there's conversations around lunchtime and, and maybe God or religion come up. He's going to really struggle to stand up and be a Christian in those places. He's going to struggle to share his faith on campus. And now you might think that I'm being a bit harsh on that young guy, you know, that just because he can't articulate that, does that mean he's going to struggle? Well, I'll tell you why I think he's going to struggle. Because a fair while ago, that was me. That was my story. When I first went to university as an 18-year-old, I went to study an agriculture degree in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales. I'd grown up in a Christian home, but I just didn't have a clarity about Jesus. And so I wasn't confident in Jesus. I remember really clearly one, um, one particular evening, I wanted to go to a Bible study group. I wanted to go to a small group uh, on, our Christian, on our campus run by the Christian group uh, but I didn't want the people that I lived with in that residential accommodation, I didn't want them to know that I was a Christian. So what I did was I got my Bible, because I knew I was meant to take my Bible, and I tucked it up under my shirt and I snuck out so that they didn't see me. That was me when I was an 18-year-old. I'd grown up in a Christian home, heard all the stories, didn't pay a whole lot of attention perhaps, but I knew the things, but I just wasn't confident as a Christian. And for me, the Christian group on that campus was so important because it actually allowed me to ask questions. There was a guy who met with me one-to-one and I could ask him a whole lot of questions until I actually got a clarity about Jesus that changed my life. And so that's what we're doing now. We want to see this ministry continue. We want people who are going from unclear to clear so that they can have a confidence in Jesus. And today, really, that's what I want us to do as well. Because this clarity, where does it come from? It actually comes as we open up God's Word. It comes as we meet Jesus in God's Word, the Bible. And I think for me, there's a whole lot of places we could go to get clarity about Jesus. But today, we want to look at Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible open in front there, it'd be really helpful. Because in Revelation chapter 1, what we get is really two pictures of Jesus. We get two different pictures of Jesus. And I think what we want to do today is we want to put those two pictures together. Because when we do that, we get an absolute clarity that will give us confidence in Jesus. That's my hope for us today, that we would leave here having a confidence in Jesus because we know who he is and what he's done for us and what he's doing in the world. Are the original readers of the book of Revelation, I take it that that's what they needed. Uh, If you know much about the original audience of the book of Revelation, they needed a confidence in Jesus, didn't they? They were a group of people who were undergoing incredible persecution just for being Christian. They were being thrown to the lions. They were being killed for their faith. And so what did they need in that moment? They needed to know that Jesus was worth it, didn't they? They needed to know that he was true. They needed to have a confidence in him. And I take it that today that's exactly what we see in this passage. Confidence-inspiring clarity. Uh, firstly, have a look, verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3 of Revelation 1. Let me read it out. It says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now these opening verses of the book of Revelation, what do they teach us? They teach us that the book of Revelation is going to be all about Jesus, don't they? Isn't that what they teach us? Look there in verse 1. What is it called? It's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, that means that when we read this book, we will, it will reveal to us or, or we will uncover who Jesus is. At the end of verse 2, in, in verse 2, John summarises what the angel told him. And what does he say there? End of verse 2, it is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation, right? The book of Revelation, it is the true word of God that testifies or teaches us about Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Revelation about is about. I think a lot of people are a little bit scared of the book of Revelation. Uh, we think that maybe it's about, you know, the dragon or the beast or some sort of decoding of numbers. No, 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 it's none of that. This is a book that teaches us about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about what Jesus is doing. And it's about what he's very soon to do. In verse 3, you see there, uh, John writes, if you read it and if you hear it and if you keep these words, you'll be blessed. Friends, this book of Revelation, I hope you see it, this is not meant to be a book of confusion. No, this is a book that helps us see and know Jesus. And if you do it, if you follow him, you'll be blessed. Have a look at verses 4 to 8. Because in verses 4 to 8, here we see John actually speaks to the churches and he reminds them of the blessings that they already have in Jesus. Firstly, just verses 4 to 5. It says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, I tell you what, there's a lot that we could say just from those couple of verses. There's a lot in that. Uh, But what I want to do, and if you've got one of those outlines uh, in your um, program that you got on the way in, you'll see some of the points. What I want us to do is pick up three statements that John makes there in verse 5. Three statements. The first one is this. John calls Jesus a faithful witness. A faithful witness. Now, I take it he does that to remind us of the fact that Jesus, when he lived on this earth, when he was a human being, uh, he lived as the perfectly obedient, faithful human being. I take it that this is a a reminder, uh, it's meant to remind us of Jesus' life, the life that he lived, that when he lived, he lived as the faithful witness to God. Jesus never sinned like we sin. He was always faithful. He was the perfect, obedient witness to God. But secondly, what do you see? John describes Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. 
And that is because Jesus, who lived the perfectly faithful life, he is the same one who gave up his life for us. Jesus is the one who who went to the cross and died under the judgment of sin. He died under the judgment, not for his sin, because he didn't have any, but he died for our sin. The Bible rings with with the great news that Jesus died for us and our salvation. He died for us and our salvation. But here, do you see, we see that he not only died, but he rose. He's the firstborn from the dead because it was through, after his death he defeated death. God raised him back to life three days later. God raised him, and you see there, middle of verse 5, God raised him as what? The ruler of the kings of the earth. The ruler of the kings of the earth. See, after Jesus rose from the dead, and this is the bit that I think a lot of us Christians kind of forget about or we put on the back burner. Where is Jesus right now? He is ascended and he is reigning at the most powerful seat in the universe. He is at God's right hand. Just think about that for a moment. That's where Jesus is. He is sitting in the most powerful seat in the universe. He is the ruler over all the kings, all the prime ministers, all the presidents, all the dictators, all the despots. He is ruling over all of them. Friends, do you see these three descriptions? These three descriptions of Jesus, what do they summarise? They actually summarise, don't they, what we could have seen if we lived in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They, 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 they summarise Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. If we were there, we could have seen Jesus. We could have seen these events. These events that are described are all anchored in history by eyewitness testimony. If we lived then, we could have seen those things. Uh, This was an incredible thing for me to see as a young university student, to see that the things that we believe about Jesus really are true. They are anchored in history. If we were there, we could have seen them. It's incredible to know that, um, to know that Christianity is not divorced from historical reality. Uh, One uh, popular writer, he has said this, he says, Christianity happily places its neck on the chopping block of historical scrutiny. Let me say that again. Christianity happily places its neck on the chopping block of historical scrutiny. You can go and check it out. That's what it's saying. You can do the research. You can go, you can investigate. You can investigate the person of Jesus. You can investigate these events about his life, death, resurrection and ascension and what you'll see is that they are true, that they happen in real history that Christianity is anchored in the real-life events of a real-life man called Jesus. Don't you think that's comforting? Don't you think that's comforting? To know that these things we believe, they really did happen, they really are true? I find that incredibly comforting. Uh, And I think what um, John goes on to do as we keep reading through this first chapter is we see there in verse 5, what John does is he takes these historical events and he actually shows us what they mean for us, what they mean to us. 
See there in verse 5, John says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, remember how at the start I said I want to see two pictures of Jesus? This is the first one. The first picture of Jesus is this. It is a Jesus who just loves you deeply and personally. Do you see it there? Verse 5, it says, To him who loves us. Who loves us. This is the first picture of Jesus. A deeply personal, loving Jesus. It's the Jesus who lived and died and rose. Why? Why did he do those things? Because he loves us. He loves us so much that he came to give us the ultimate gift, freedom from our sins. So we could be with God. See, friends, how do you know if Jesus loves you? How do you know if God loves you? Well, the Bible says you look at the cross. You look to the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I think the great temptation for us and, and for uni students, maybe in particular, but, but, but certainly also, is to kind of look at the circumstances in our life and to kind of think, well, maybe God doesn't love me because this thing has happened. You know, so I'll be talking to someone and they might have failed an exam. They might have failed a subject. But if they're a Christian person, yeah, they'll be sad. They'll be down about that. They'll be disappointed. But if they're a Christian person, they can't be crushed, can they? They can't be completely crushed because we know, don't we, that God deeply loves us. And we have that to hang on to. I take it that that works in a whole range of circumstances in our life. There'll be things that get us down and we feel sad and down about that. But if we know how much God loves us in Christ, we look to the cross. Well, we can't be crushed, can we? We'll be lifted up. I take it that perhaps that's what John wanted to say, particularly to that first century audience to those Christians who were undergoing horrible persecution, he wanted them to know that in spite of earthly circumstances, Jesus deeply loves them because he died for them. He thought they were worth dying for. He died for them to free them from their sins. Friends, this is the first picture of Jesus. It is a personal Jesus. It is the Jesus who loves you and comforts you with your love, do you have that picture of Jesus? Have you got clarity on that? And to those undergoing such trials, in verse 7, in verse 7, I think John gives us one more point of comfort for Christians. To those who are undergoing uh, trials, what does he say? Verse 7, he says, look, look. He is coming with the clouds and every I will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth, they will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Firstly, to Christians, what does John say? To Christians who are undergoing persecution, he says this, friends, the future is this. Look, Jesus will return. The one who loves you deeply and personally, he will come back. He's coming back for you. Isn't that amazingly comforting news? 
that the one who loves us will return, that he'll come back. We rejoice in that, right? But in the second half of verse 7, you see that that all changes if you're not a Christian, doesn't it? So I guess what we've seen so far is we've seen the life of Jesus. We've seen the one who loves us so deeply and personally. He loves us by going to the cross. But sadly, many people reject Jesus' love. Many people say that they have no need for Jesus. And John tells us here that all the peoples of the earth who haven't trusted in Jesus, well, on that day when he returns, they will mourn. They will weep. Because that day will not be a day of rejoicing, but it will be a day of great judgment. So shall it be, says John. I don't know where each of you are at when it comes to trusting Jesus. Uh, perhaps you're here today and you've never really taken Jesus seriously. You've never come to him and you've repented of your sin. Perhaps you've never done that. I take it that perhaps if this first picture is the only one you've ever heard of Jesus, that he's kind of a nice guy who came and said some nice things and he really loves us, then then maybe there's a reason for that. But friends, have a look at the second picture of Jesus. The Jesus who is, yes, loving and personal, but the second picture of Jesus is the Jesus who is risen, who is reigning and who is all-powerful. You see it there in verses 12 to 16. Verses 12 to 16, I'll read it out. This vision that John sees it's kind of a little bit crazy. I don't know if maybe at the moment you might want to close your eyes and try to imagine what Jesus looks like uh, if you're a visual person. Maybe have a go at that. Um, I'll read out verses 12 to 16. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. How'd you go? Did you picture it? John sees seven lampstands, uh, which later in the book of Revelation are described as the seven churches. And there's someone, there's a man walking in the midst of these lampstands, these churches, right? He's just walking around. And he's described as what? The son of man. That is, it's picking up on some Old Testament prophecy from Daniel chapter 7 that there would be one who was called the Son of Man, one who would approach God and God would give him all authority, all power, all dominion over all things. This is Jesus, the one who ascended and God has given him all authority. This is a picture of Jesus. And so how does John describe Jesus? Well, firstly, he's wearing a robe with a sash. That is, he's dressed like a king. 
His head and his hair, they are white as snow, which is a way of describing that God has wisdom, that he's pure, that he's holy. His eyes, they are burning with fire. Why? Well, because he's the judge who sees all things. His feet, they are bronze glowing in a furnace because he is a strong conqueror and his voice, it sounds like the rushing of waters because his word has immeasurable power. Out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword. That's the kind of crazy bit when you're imagining it, right? Out of his mouth comes a sharp double-edged sword because his word, the word of Jesus is penetrating. It cuts us to soul, it judges us. And his face, his face is like the sun. It is shining in all its brilliance. He is too perfect, too powerful, too holy to even look at. That's the picture of Jesus right now. And in verse 17, you can understand John's response, can't you? What does John do? John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. John came face to face with Jesus as he is right now, the risen, reigning, almighty Jesus. And I tell you what, who wouldn't fall to the floor? Who wouldn't fall to the floor? This second picture of Jesus, it demands a response, doesn't it? This is no blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, meek and mild. No, this is mighty, commanding, powerful Jesus. This is the one who reigns over all things through his powerful word. There's another description later uh, in the book of Revelation in chapter 19 where it adds that on his robe and on his thigh it says, King of kings, Lord of lords. Friends, is this the picture of Jesus that you have when you think of him? Well, if you don't, If it's not, then you've got a piece of the puzzle missing. This Jesus commands a response and John responds rightly, doesn't he? He falls down at his feet. He says, I'm not worthy and he worships him. I think some men really love this picture of Jesus. You know, kind of commanding Jesus, tough guy Jesus. Yeah, that's the Jesus I can kind of follow. And it is a pretty cool picture, really. But you know, I think the true picture of Jesus that we need to see is when we actually put these two pictures together. Because that's what we see in verse 17, isn't it? Jesus, the one with all power, the one with all authority, how does he react to John? What do you see in verse 17? John's on the floor, he's a quivering, bubbly mess. What does Jesus do? Jesus places his right hand on him and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. I am the first and the last. That's incredible, isn't it? I take it that John's response is the right one. We should be a a blubbering mess before the risen Jesus. We, We don't deserve to stand in his presence. But John, as he's laying there, he looks up and he hears Jesus say to him, do not be afraid. 
Isn't that incredible? The kindness, the love that flows through the powerful Jesus. Do you see how the two pictures come together? The one who loves us personally is the one who rules all things powerfully. Look at verse 18. In verse 18 it says, I am the living one, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus says. Don't those words just give you confidence? When you hear that, Jesus is saying, I have won the victory. I have won the victory. I have conquered death. And I am on your side. It's beautiful, isn't it? And so I take it that whether you're reading this in the first century and you're suffering under persecution or whether you're reading this in the 21st century and you're just about to head to university, this is what you need to know, isn't it? That Jesus is the one who loves you deeply and personally and yet he is the one who is powerfully in control of all things. That's what you need to know, isn't it? To have that sort of clarity that he has died for you, that he has risen for you that he is reigning for you. That's what gives us confidence, isn't it, friends? I take it for me as I think about my life. This is what gives me confidence in evangelism. To know that the one who loves me and who loves people, loves sinners like me, is mightily reigning through his powerful word, saving people. This is what gives us confidence to live as Christians, isn't it? This is what gives us confidence to not be swayed by the world because we know that this world is not all there is. This is what gives us confidence to pray because we know the one who loves us loves to hear our prayers but he's also powerful so he can answer them. These truths, friends, this Jesus, he needs to be uncovered, doesn't he? That's what the CU is all about. And I hope that that's what your life is all about. That as you get a clarity about Jesus, you would have a confidence in him to share him with other people. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your word that teaches us so clearly about the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that we see that Jesus who lived the perfect life gave that up so that we who have lived imperfect lives can have life with you once again. We thank you that as we come to you in faith and repentance, you hear our prayer, you give us new life. So Father, I pray that each one of us will respond rightly to the Lord Jesus. Help us to have a clarity about him that leads to a confidence that helps us to see many, many more people come to trust in him. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I'm going to ask.